Brilliant, where I explore the human side of work. I talk to business leaders, academics, authors, workplace experts, and other professionals about when they've worked at their best and when they floundered. We find out how to change organisations for the better so that everyone can flourish. Join us for a dose of honesty and positivity to help you and your organisation succeed. I'm your host, Helen Beedham, organisational expert, speaker, and author of the Amazon best-selling business book, The Future of Time, how reworking time can help you boost productivity, diversity, and well-being. You can catch the podcast on all major podcasting platforms, on YouTube, and on my website at helenbeedham.com, where you'll also find the show notes. I'd love to hear your views too. You can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram at Helen J. Beedham and on Twitter at Helen Beedham. Now let's crack on with this week's episode. Hello, I'm excited to be back on the airwaves with series two of The Business of Being Brilliant. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you listen to some or all of series one, welcome back. I hope you enjoy the show wherever and however you're listening or watching. I'm recording this on Friday the 29th of April. How was your Easter? Did you enjoy some restful and refreshing downtime? Did you head off abroad with passports and Covid tests in hand looking for adventure? Or were your adventures closer to home? Whatever your plan, I hope you managed to switch off and hoover up unhealthy quantities of chocolate. Very excitingly, we had an epic adventure, that kind that doesn't happen very often. We spent three weeks in Australia for a much longed for family reunion with my two grown-up stepchildren who happened to be embarking on their careers out there. Making this trip happen was not easy. The expense, the weeks of planning, then our flights were rerouted due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Staying on top of immigration requirements required a PhD in patience. And just when we thought we'd nailed it all, my husband and daughter caught Covid and we had to delay our departure. But we finally made it and it was every bit as wonderful as we'd hoped. It was the first time we'd left the UK in three years and I realised after we arrived just how thirsty I was for travel and new experiences and discovering somewhere different. I even loved being on a plane for 24 hours solid. I confess, I binged on Bridgerton and Killing Eve and it was bliss. The only disappointment of the holiday, apart from having to say goodbye, was Australian chocolate. It really does not taste like proper chocolate and I'm quite an expert on this matter. Apparently, this is due to the higher melting point it requires for their warmer climate. So our Easter egg fest had to wait. I did read quite a bit too. I'm proud to say that I'm still on track with my 2022 reading challenge, Reclaim Time to Read, where I'm aiming to read 50 books in 52 weeks, alternating business books with fiction. In the past three weeks, I've read The Listening Shift by Janie Van Hool, who's a fellow author with Practical Inspiration Publishing and my guest on this podcast next week. Her book is a treasure trove of wise advice 
for listening effectively and helping others to listen to you. Week 16 of the reading challenge served up a blinder of a novel called The Anomaly by Hervé Letellier, which won the coveted Prix Goncourt. It's described as a high-concept, mind-bending thriller. I found it utterly brilliant, thought-provoking and gripping in equal measure. Last week, which was week 17, I went undercover with the anonymously penned The Secret Barrister, Stories of the Law and How It's Broken, which was fascinating and surprisingly moving. Why not join me with this week's read? It's H is for Hawk by Helen MacDonald, which the FT reviewed as blazing with love and intelligence. You can find all the books I've read so far and next week's book on my website. The link is in the show notes. I've really enjoyed the many conversations I've been having about my business book, The Future of Time. I've been writing for Fast Company, the HR Director, the Chartered Institute of Management and other publications about the changing employer-employee relationship, how workplace policies are evolving, how managers can help their teams use their time productively and how we can transform our work habits for the better. There are links to these articles on my website if you're interested to hear what forward-thinking organisations are doing on these topics. And in June, I'll be piloting a new and time-friendly programme called Time for the Things That Matter, which aims to increase our own sense of time affluence at work and home. There'll be just 20 places initially, I'll share more information during May on this podcast and on my social media channels. If you feel locked in a constant battle with time, with a crammed full schedule, ever-increasing workload or to-do list, and never enough time for the important things in your life, then this could be just what you need. Let's hear now from this week's guest. I absolutely love this conversation, as you can tell from the fun we had recording it and it's full of some wonderful reflections. Have a listen. This week, I'm delighted to be talking with Amma Okanzi, who is UK Head of Diversity and Inclusion for BNP Paribas, which is a worldwide investment and retail bank. It's present in 74 countries and has over 190,000 employees globally. Amma is a qualified solicitor and began her career at the international law firm Linklaters, practicing in both London and Tokyo. After joining BNP Paribas, she became a senior capital markets lawyer for their corporate and institutional banking business, focusing on cross-border capital markets transactions in the emerging markets. Amma has been shortlisted for various industry awards and was named a Brummel Inspirational Women. She's involved in developing access to finance for individuals and entrepreneurs in developing economies and is a non-executive director for the Financial Inclusion Forum and BNP Prime Brokerage International Limited. She also mentors junior city lawyers and students. Welcome to the business of being brilliant, Amma. Thank you, Helen. Very excited to be here. This is my first ever podcast, so I'm hoping it all goes well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm delighted that you're starting your podcasting life with us. Thank you so much. It's lovely that that you're joining us for that. So really interesting to hear about your career and how it's evolved. 
Could you start by telling us something about yourself that might surprise people to give people a feel for who you are? I have been an asylum seeker as a child. And to cut a long story extremely short, my dad was a diplomat who got posted to the UK with his family. We're from Ghana, West Africa. And during the time of his posting, there was a military coup. And it meant that my dad couldn't go back because essentially his colleagues and the current government were forced out and a lot of them executed. And so we ended up being stranded in the UK and we had to seek asylum. And so it's very interesting to me when I hear discussions and debates about asylum seekers, because often there's a lack of empathy or sympathy. Mm. And people always assume that everyone's dying to be here or they come here under illegal means. And that's not often the case. And I missed home terribly when it became obvious that we couldn't go back. So my advice always is that do have compassion because for somebody to leave their home, it takes a lot. And the idea that they may not be able to go back, it is really quite difficult. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it's particularly moving to hear your story at a time when we're just so painfully aware of the number of Ukrainians fleeing their country and wondering where they're going and what the future is going to hold and when they'll ever go back to their home and, and perhaps family members that are st- still there. So yeah. it's really moving to hear that you've experienced that firsthand. So is that something you talk about much in work, particularly given your role? I have now. When I was younger, it was quite traumatic. And obviously, when you're young, you want to fit in. And so all that business of trying to seek British citizenship and the stress of it and my parents and all the agony that they were going through, because as a child, you adapt very quickly. But as an adult, you've really left your friends and family, especially for my dad as well, because he was a career diplomat. So he really was part of the administration that was what he wanted to do all his life so there was a lot of trauma lots of difficulty so I almost tried to repress and forget it and it's only now that as an adult and I'm more comfortable with things that I do talk about it because like you say it is so prevalent it's happening all the time and you do hear people saying oh well you know we can't take them all and all that commentary and, and that's when I have to say, look, you know, it's not a, a, a black and white story of they want to come over here and take your resources, really. There's a story behind that. And like I say, humility, empathy and sympathy is really what's needed. I can imagine that's very powerful when you do share your own personal experience and help people realise that there are real human beings behind the numbers. There are families, there are individuals with hopes and dreams and and strong family ties who are having to unwillingly think about their new identity and their new home and just must help people start to get just a linkling of an idea about the enormity of what's involved for someone in that situation. Absolutely. And also, it's quite interesting because I've got quite an English accent. It throws people and then they say, oh, well, I wouldn't have thought that. And I said, well, exactly. People have backstories. So it's always important not to assume or make assumptions and listen and really think about how difficult things can be in certain situations. Yeah, you're so right. We bring so many mental assumptions to every conversation, don't we? And we don't always take time to to realise that or to check them and unpack them. I'm sure that's a big part of the work you help lead in your organisation about all the mental models and 
unchecked assumptions that we're bringing into conversations and, and interactions. So how did you get into your leadership role that you are in now? How did you develop those leadership skills and what was the path like for you? The actual getting the role was definitely through sponsorship. Somebody very senior, I got the pat on the back or the pat on the shoulder, as they say. So that was instrumental. But I'd done the work before then as a lawyer and as a black female lawyer in a corporate space, in a finance space. I was often othered because I was often the only woman in the room, but always the only black woman in the room. So I was very aware of um, being a minority. So I was very engaged in initiatives at work in terms of diversity, in terms of inclusion, in terms of just giving people a voice. And actually, that's one of the reasons why I became a lawyer. Because of my childhood, I felt that somebody had to speak for people who couldn't speak for themselves. And law seemed the the right avenue for me to be able to do so. So I'd always done that. And through that sort of advocacy, through that sort of speaking up, through that engagement, the, the senior leader said, I, I think you'd be very good at this. And it struck me that actually... Yeah, I've got the lived experience and I've got the passion and I hope I have the understanding. And so it seemed a natural progression for me. That's really interesting to hear how the act of putting your hand up and getting involved and speaking out and getting engaged on certain topics in the workplace, that raised your profile and helped people to notice you more and see the potential and also the commitment and and the ambition you had as well. So it's a great reminder to us that if we want to succeed or climb up the career ladder, we have to be thinking about, okay, what more could I be doing or doing differently that might bring me into contact with different people who might be able to help me in my career or who might notice what I'm doing and what I bring to the table? I couldn't agree more. I did it inadvertently because I felt that I needed to do it. It was important to me. But looking back, I realised how much exposure it gave because I was active in the networks and because I put my hand up for things and because I spoke about things, it did mean that people did see me and people remembered me. And like I say, being a black female in a very white corporate space, you're often remembered. So it was important for me that I was remembered for the right reasons, but I hadn't strategically worked out that that would lead to something else. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. It's difficult because you're busy doing your day job and sometimes juggling the family as well. But I do think that it is important to be noticed, to engage, and not because you're doing it because you're thinking about the next thing, but find something that works for you. Find something that you're interested in. Somebody was saying, what are you known for? What do you stand for? And I remember thinking, gosh, that's quite daunting. And then I realised, well, actually, if you do believe in, in something and if you're engaged in something, that is who you are. So I would really encourage people to do that, especially women, because I think men do that naturally anyway. They're very good at selling themselves, their stories, their skills. And women tend not to want to do that. It's often seen as bragging. And there is a fine line. But I do think you really do have to make sure that you are seen, because if you aren't seen, then people aren't going to talk about you when you're not in the room. And often you want to be talked about for the right reasons. That's great advice. And particularly the what do you want to be known for? I remember a a colleague, a peer of mine, asking me the same question a few years into our career. We worked a lot together. She said to me, 
you know, you're very capable and you can do all these different things and you have great technical expertise. But if I have a question, the one thing I'm not quite clear on yet is what's your personal brand about at work? What do you want to be known for? And it really made me think hard that question. It was really helpful intervention and it was done from a very encouraging, supportive place. It's a daunting one, the idea of having a brand, because you think, well, how, what does that look like in a corporate space? So, no, I, I completely understand what you're saying. But again, once you think about it, you think, well, actually, this is what I stand for. This is what I think. So that's my brand. I just need to find a way to market it so that it really is about what I'm giving as opposed to what I'm trying to take or what I'm trying to be seen to be doing. Absolutely. And it links very strongly to our sense of purpose in life and the things we really value and care about. So as you stepped into increasingly senior roles, is there something in particular that you found difficult or stretching as a leader that has led you to acquire new skills or tools in your toolbox? Definitely. Leadership is about people. (laughs) And I don't think enough people say that. As a lawyer, you're very focused on getting the transaction done. You have a goal. Everybody's working towards that goal and you all sort of get along. And, you know, there might be differences in opinion, but there's one focus. But in leadership, you're managing teams, you're managing different perspectives, you're managing so many stakeholders. And unless you learn to connect, communicate and work with them, it's really difficult. And I think that's the thing that I found very challenging, the fact that it really is about the relationship and the people first, and almost the work second, because if you get the first right, the second flows automatically and and goes very well. But you really have to put a lot of time and effort into the first piece. Mm. And I don't think people talk about people enough about the fact that it really is about people. And it's about making sure you connect with them. And it's about making sure that they share your vision or understand what you're trying to achieve. And even if they don't agree, but they can see your perspective and more importantly, you can see theirs. So it's, it's big. <laughs> it's, it's a big topic. Yeah. And I can see why it's easily got wrong because your focus may be getting the work done and you may not necessarily want to focus on the sensitivities or the different viewpoints of other people. Whereas really that's what you should be looking at. So yeah, like I say, it's big. <laughs> yes, it is. And You're so right about the interpersonal relationships take priority. Someone very wise once said to me, all the transactional task-based stuff that we do in our work and delivering to clients and contracting with clients, etc., all of that runs so much more smoothly if you're investing in the relationship at the same time and thinking about both those angles very explicitly. But the minute you stop investing in the relationship, that's when it becomes far harder to manage the transactional side. And I thought that was a great way of putting it. It's these two tracks in parallel. And you almost don't notice if you've got the good relationship that it is smoothing the way for the transactional activity to happen efficiently. Exactly. And I think that's the thing. When it goes wrong, that's when you notice how difficult things can be. And if you focus on the um, relationship and the connection, you'll find that often you'll have an idea and people will run with it because you've invested time in them. You've empowered them. And that's the piece that really takes time, empowering people, encouraging them and giving them the confidence. And like you say, once you've done that, the transactional bit and the repetitive stuff 
it just flows really, really well because people are almost second guessing and they're willing to go the mile. But you really do have to invest in that. Mm. And I just don't think that's emphasised enough when people talk about leadership. Yes. So speaking about time and how you spend your time, how do you manage that whole dynamic in your role when you know, you're leading a big agenda on behalf of the organisation? you no doubt got huge amounts of work to get done in parallel, but you're also thinking as a leader about how you're role modeling certain behaviors or inclusive ways of working. What helps you manage your time at work and how do you divide your time up at work? I think the pandemic has been good and bad. In terms of managing time, I always work backwards. So for example, I'm currently doing the gender pay gap reporting at work and I know the deadline is 1st of April so I've already diarised my milestones what I have to achieve by such and such so I always work backwards so I know I'm doing something at the end of May so I'm working backwards now and I kind of pinpoint milestones that I need to achieve and I give myself a few days for slippage and I also allow for the fact that you will invariably get that email you know on the Monday that will take precedence over everything else but I think once you prioritise and give yourself milestones, that helps. With the people thing, I think COVID has been bad in the sense that it's very hard to connect to people on Zoom because small talk really does feel like small talk when it's involved over a computer because there's no natural flow. And I took on the role in COVID and even though I'd been at the organisation a long time, I hadn't been in this role before so I was meeting new stakeholders who I hadn't dealt with before so I think COVID has made that problematic but the good thing about COVID is that it's meant that you've had to connect with lots of people very very quickly so whereas the office thing would have been let's have a meeting and then go and speak to somebody else, now I need to work out what this is, who in HR do I need to speak to and often they'll refer you to somebody else so you tend to connect to people very very quickly because it's virtual and that allows that. And now that we're going back to the office, it's quite nice. I was in the office yesterday and people that I've spoken to for almost two years, virtually, you know them well because you've worked with them. So now it's just a question of, oh, by the way, where do you live? Do you have children? And all of that stuff, because you've already established their work pattern and what you know they can do and the services and the way you work with them so like I say there's been bad things about it but there's been good things as well it's just a different evolution of how a normal working relationship would be you'd build the connection and then work but in a sense you've had to do the work and now you're building the connection yeah that's so interesting and I think you're spot on in terms of what people are really valuing now we're heading back into offices much more, which is the chance to really build those personal connections more easily and in, in person, having been on Zoom and on Teams for so long. So I think people are really enjoying that sense that a bit of humanity and interpersonal joy and laughter is coming back into day-to-day work interactions because that stuff's quite hard to replicate online. Absolutely. Yeah. And people are very grateful to be with each other. (laughs) And before COVID, time of going to the office could be a little bit, oh gosh, again. 
And I think now people think, oh, actually, I'm going to have lunch with somebody. I'm going to have a chat. I'm going to speak to somebody. So that enthusiasm is nice. I know. It's so true. And you know what? I have a 10-year-old daughter who has always loved her school, but occasionally would grumble about, oh, do I really have to go in? I have not heard a peep about that ever since she finished the last lockdown. She's never once complained. I've never seen somebody shoot into school more enthusiastically every single day. <laughs> now she knows what the alternative is. <laughs> exactly. I've got a 13 year old and after the first lockdown, we, we were both climbing up the walls. And so again, he's very grateful. School is very much a place of, <laughs> of escape because it's better than being at home with mum. Yeah. So, yeah. We're all kind of cherishing that long forgotten aspect, aren't we? We have another space to go to, another set of people to hang out with. And it's not more of the same that we've been no. used to for, for days on end. Oh, that, and that's... actually, it's understanding the whole purpose of school or offices and the whole idea that it does get you out of the house. It does get you meeting people. It does vary the things that you do. So I think lessons learned and appreciated. Yeah, exactly. And I know for many people, they may love the place where they work, have really positive interactions with colleagues, feel that they're well supported and progressing happily in their careers. And for others, it might be a different story for whatever reason. They find those interactions more problematic or challenging, or they don't feel as acknowledged or valued or included um, for some reason, or it just feels quite an unsustainable workload or pace of work. Could you tell me about any initiative or change or ambition that you've been involved in or you're leading perhaps in your current role to help make your organisation a place where more people can flourish and feel valued and able to really deliver their best in their day-to-day -day work? Yeah, actually, in terms of people who, like you say, going back to work may not necessarily be, it may present challenges to them. I think the whole hybrid model, which in an investment man can't be adapted for all roles, because if you're a trader, you really do need to be on the floor. But other roles, I think that whole hybrid way of working is working very well for employees. And it gives you that benefit of I've got time at home to be more efficient, to be honest. And then I've got time in the office to connect. But one of the things that I ran last year, and I'm starting the process this year, is a programme called RISE. And it's a career development programme for women who are mid to senior. And it's that sort of stage where women tend to leave the workforce because they've probably started having families and the children are at a stage now where they've got exams or they're preparing for entrance in schools. And so... It's that tipping point where they tend to leave. And that is the difficulty for us because then you have this bulge of women who are graduates and that whole 50-50 balance because that's the stage where they are very engaged. And then you have the few women at the top. And because there's nobody in between, you tend not to be able to progress the women um, in the middle to be senior. And then you have that challenge with seniority. And so we're really focusing on this middle group and we run this program and it's very much focused on women and it's very much based on analysing their strengths and their challenges. It's getting feedback from all their stakeholders. We provide them with group coaching and also we provide them with mentoring. And it's really a game changer because women are 
often in environments where they feel that they can't really discuss their challenges between their careers and their professions. And by putting a group of women together, it's a psychological safe space. They're very enthused, they're very encouraged, and they just feel supported and not alone. Lots of commentary last year was, I actually thought I was the only one who was struggling and not wanting to really put up my hand up for things because I had to pick up my daughter from school and somebody else saying, well, no, that's me too. Or somebody saying, well, actually, I am thinking of leaving because I don't know how I really juggle this and I'm too scared to speak to my manager. And I think that's been a real game changer. So I think those initiatives, and of course, we've had men say, well, how does that work? We need one too. And we've sort of said, well, actually, if you look at the statistics, there's a very disproportionate amount of senior men to women. And I'm not saying that men don't need help, but at the moment, we need to focus on the underrepresented. And unfortunately, it's women. Last year, just given you some broad stats, we had 32 women. And of those, we've already had six promotions and four of them have changed roles. And they have actually said the group coaching and the honesty and the fact that it was a shared space and people thought and felt like me and also encouraged me and said, look, do it, do this, has made a difference. So I I do think those programmes, if they're delivered correctly and if they really address the issues, I think they can really help. Mm. That's really interesting. It sounds like you've done brilliantly to create a space where people can really connect, be open with each other about some of the challenges, but also trust each other to say, this is what I do. This is what I struggle with. This is what I found helpful. And really building that sense of a cohort of people. And I was going to ask about how and whether you involve men in those conversations or in that initiative in any way and you've just spoken a little bit about that and I understand what you're saying actually we just have to look at where the real priorities are and focus efforts on that we'd love to do things for everybody whatever their circumstance or gender or demographic but there's a limited amount of resource and budget and you have to take it step by step and try and make improvements in one area and then build on that I must say that's the hardest part of my role is that there's limited resources and everybody has needs. And you you do have to be quite strategic and say, well, these are the key problem areas and this is what we'll identify. It does mean that I can't let you focus on you for now, but this is what it looks like for today, for the immediate future. And you're right. It doesn't please everybody, but that's leadership. That's the working world. There's limited resources. So you really do have to decide strategically where you can make the most impact and where you can make the most difference. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody once told me early in my career that you don't have a strategy until you know what it is you're not doing. And it's such good advice to really focus. And can I ask what resources have you found particularly helpful in your current role, whether that's a book or a podcast or a talk or something else? What's helped inspire you or given you some extra tools to use? I've been doing a lot of reading because even though I've lived this experience, it's finding the words. And I think that's really crucial because, for example, the concept of intersectionality, I had lived that all my life, but I didn't know what it was. So I had a situation once where I wasn't being treated very well. And I was told, oh, well, it's because you're a woman. And I knew there was a race angle to it, but I didn't know what I didn't, was it racism? Is it sexism? Which one is it? And I kept thinking, well, when I enter a room, I can't separate and be a woman and be black separately, right? I'm both. And I just didn't have the language for it. And as soon as I read about intersectionality, I just thought, oh my God, 
That's what it is. And that makes so much sense. So I think for me, language and reading around the subject and understanding what people's thoughts are really helps. And I mentioned I really enjoy podcasts. And one of my favourite ones is by Brené Brown. She's very good at putting language to emotions. And I, I remember somebody said, well, she's the shame guru. And I thought, well, shame is just shame. I'm like, how can you be academic about shame? Oh my gosh, how wrong was I? So for me, it's all about language. Uh, and so anybody who can add that language, who can build on the thoughts of that, I'm very engaged with. I read James Clear, Automatic Habits, and I always found that I didn't have time to do quite a few things, and one of them was reading. And then he said, instead of reading 30 books a day, why don't you say read a page a day? And that's what I've done. And now it's just gone to the stage where I'm reading about 45 minutes a day, just because I literally started with that one page. So I do think that when I was growing up, they were called self-help books. And it was seen as a bad thing. <laughs> I always had pictures of Bridget Jones and that whole <laughs> <laughs> the fact that she read all the self books but couldn't help herself but I really do think that as you evolve and you grow you do need ideas you do need people's thoughts because they can put your thoughts in perspective and they can find you the language and the understanding and just some things that you're struggling with someone will put it in a context and you'll think that's what it is <laughs> you know I don't so I'm a real advocate of podcasts lots of reading yes they're great uh, resources. Thank you for sharing those. I haven't read Atomic Habits yet. It is on my reading list, but I have read The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, uh, who oh, talks wow. about how to create and stick to habits. And, and that's a really good read as well. But thanks for okay. reminding me about Atomic Habits. And I'll pop all the links to those and to Brené Brown's podcast in the show notes. And yeah. how can listeners connect with you after the podcast if they'd like to get in touch professionally? LinkedIn. I'm I'm a LinkedIn, so yes, please do. I'd love to hear what your podcasts, what your preferences are, your thoughts on leadership. I just think it's such a broad subject and people have experiences about it in different ways and I, I just find it fascinating. Great. So there's a real invitation to get connected and continue the conversation. Emma, thank you so much for joining me today on The Business of Being Brilliant. It's been brilliant to have you here and hear all about your career and your reflections on our world of work and what it takes to be a leader today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is what I love about podcasts is that it's a real conversation. And I've really enjoyed it, Helen. Thank you. Wow, wasn't that great hearing Amma talk about her own life story and career and the things she's working on in her diversity and inclusion leadership role? It's so true, as she says, that everyone has a backstory. But how often do we take the time to ask people about theirs? Being curious can really help us create stronger relationships at work. And investing in the relationships first makes the work so much easier to navigate even when we hit roadblocks or stressful times. And I loved how Amma described how her career transition from lawyer to diversity and inclusion leader came about. It was because she got involved in the things she really cared about, spoke up, put her hand up and got noticed. She hadn't set out to open new doors or change roles, but that's what ended up happening. What has helped open new doors for you? Has someone ever given you an encouraging nudge that led to a new role 
or career turn? Next week, I get to chat with the brilliant Janie Van Hoel, whose book, The Listening Shift, was recommended by my final guest of Series 1, Investment Banking, CHRO, Alison Troutmansdorf. We'll hear about Janie's career encompassing stage acting, performance psychology, working with the Samaritans and coaching leaders, and she shares some fantastic advice. Do join us. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you have, please do share it with friends and on social media and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts to help other listeners discover the podcast too. All the show notes are at helenbeadham.com forward slash podcast. Join me next week for another conversation about the business of being brilliant. <laughs>